well long before then. And uh, what it was was I was having an issue in my life. Really what I found out was a heart issue of submitting to God. As a child, I grew up in the church. My father was Reverend Jimmy Thomas. He was a minister. Um, we were brought up under the word. We were brought up under what to do. We were taught the word. And somehow in my life, I was failing to uh, submit to God and what he was calling me to do. And this failing to submit to God, what I seen was a root heart issue was, it was something that I was always trying to do. And uh, God had to show me that it was Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, but, but God, yes. And me knowing that it wasn't the result of works is what helped me to see that it was nothing that I could do alone from God. And so I found myself in addiction. And this addiction became a root problem of my life. And at first, I found myself trying to blame others, which it began with trying to blame the church, which that didn't work at all, couldn't blame God. And then I tried to blame uh, friends and family and said someone introduced me or brought me to it. But really, God showed me that it was my heart issue. It was something that I always had been in my heart, and it was something that I always desired. And it wasn't no one else's fault but mine alone. And so I had to come to a point in my life where I had to be real. And that realness came to accepting that I alone was not adequate in myself, that I needed Christ. Because the things that were in me were the things that were defiling me, and not the things that were outside of me. And so by doing that, God led me to uh, Willer Mission. And at Willer Mission, I began to uh, examine my life in my heart. And at that time, God had brought me to a camp where I spent uh, six months of my life working there, building relationships with men, learning Bible scriptures, memorizing scripture, and then applying it to my life. And for after I've completed that, I went to uh, work as a servant leader myself, learning how to serve the people and put them before myself, learning how to put God's desires before my own desires. And like Pastor said, it was a, a, a self-sacrifice, which what I want to say is a living sacrifice because I had to live it out in my life. It wasn't something that I could just say. And it wasn't really something that I could just do. I had to have faith. And I had to depend on God with that faith. And today, I'm standing here today, I'm not addicted to any drug. Um, I understand what God has tried to teach me in submitting and to giving in to his will because his perfect will is the will that is what he wants for us. It's the will that gives us the purpose in our lives. Many of us are searching for purpose and we don't know what our purpose is. But I'll tell you the secret today. Your purpose is to glorify God. 
in the life that he's giving you. And by the help of God, that's what I plan to do. Walking according to his word, to be a minister of his word, and to walk out what he has taught me in my life. So my life now is dedicated to being a servant leader. First serving God with all my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength. And then my fellow brothers and sisters, to love you all. Because the things that I've been through, I know that without God, I wouldn't even be standing here today. I was dead. I was dead in my trespasses. Although I was walking around and people seeing so much potential in me and they said, oh, he went to school and he has his education and he has his, I was dead. And it wasn't until God came into my life that I became alive. And there was a man that I, I, I heard preach, his name is Vadi Bakum, and he said that dead men don't grab. You know, people say they're waiting on God to throw out the life, the lifeline or, or the, 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 the safe or they're going to grab on to and hold it. But I'm going to tell you today that dead people don't grab. So there's nothing that we can do in our efforts. But everything comes from having faith in God. So today my message is that you guys believe in the grace of God that he died on the cross. That grace that he gave himself. Himself is what he's asking us to do, to give ourselves. Be a living sacrifice. Be that, that, that sacrifice that takes up their cross and denies themselves. Because you're doing that in the example of Christ himself. And there's no better role model to follow. So I urge you, sisters and brothers, as I, I look back on Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, For grace you have been saved through faith in that not of yourselves. It's nothing that you can do. I tried it. I wanted what grandma had. I wanted what uncle had. I wanted what my father had. So I tried to have what they had. I tried to do what they were doing. Not by myself. It's nothing that I could do. It's not in yourself. It is the gift of God. When Christ died on that cross, it was a gift. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works. So don't worry about what you're doing right now in your life and how it looks right now because that doesn't measure out what God is doing in your life. It is a gift of God, y'all. It's a gift of God. And that's what we all need to look at. That gift that God has given us that he's going to work in our lives through faith. Amen? I thank y'all for the opportunity to speak. And I thank you for the opportunity and uh, hopefully I'll be able to continue to share more of my story and, and more of the things that I've been through in my life. Um, but actually, do you mind, Pastor? Because the Holy Spirit is telling me I'm missing something. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. I'm missing something. It's the last part there that I'm missing. Yes, Lord. For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, least anyone should boast. So I stand before you today letting you know that it's not me that's done this. It's God, and I give all the glory to God, and that's all I can boast in is in the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Amen. 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 So part of that journey and understanding that it takes us willingness, our willingness to submit to the will of God. One of the things that Brother Jacob has submitted to is accepting his calling into the ministry. Come on, let's give God a hand clap for what he's done and what he's doing. And this man of God, bless you, love you. Amen. My heart rejoices to see what God has done as he speaks about the great grace of God and how it redeems dead men and how he realizes he was dead in his trespasses and his sins. But by the grace of God, he has been redeemed. He's saved. He's alive. You have been made alive in Christ. Amen. Amen. To hear him speak of the sacrifice he made, admitting and acknowledging that he had a problem and being willing to submit to the programming. And I shared with him that I was so proud of the fact that he remained because it's voluntary. You'll recall uh, several months ago where I, we were praying for him and asking for prayer because while he was serving down in Bloomington, Indiana, they did make him a servant leader. And there were two specific, uh, there was two cases specifically where there were two young men that he had been pouring into and he had been encouraging them as they were struggling in their addiction. In the same week, both of them overdosed. One of them died, one of them was revived. So the death was a burden uh, of great concern for him, but, but the one who was alive was even that much more concerned because shortly after him being re revived and gaining him consciousness, he decided to walk out the door. So this was a great hurt to Brother Jacob's heart to lose one and then to feel that they were in the process of losing another as he walked out. But to know that God has redeemed and to work, has done his work in him, that he might then take that same message to others, that he might be the vessel that God uses to continue to bring life because the reality is that there is a lot of death, there's a lot of hurting, there's a lot of deadness in the earth. According to the scripture where it says that we are dead in our trespasses and sin, those that are unborn again are dead already. Thus is a need for them to be born again because then they'll come alive in Christ. Amen? So one more time, if you would, let's bless God for Brother Jacob Thomas, amen? I thank God for him because it is a great joy 
He is my natural nephew, but he's also uh, one of the young men that back in 1992, the Lord impressed upon my heart to try and minister and to pour into young men by way of what we called the boys choir. And I would teach them in Bible, before we rehearsed, I would teach a Bible study with them and I would try my best to encourage them and inspire them as best I could. And he was reminding me of some times that, that, that he was encouraged during those times and how they'd come back to him. And that encouraged me because, and I'll encourage, encourage you with that. You may not always know that your labor is not in vain, but you must trust God that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Whatever you're doing for Christ will last. Whatever you've done for Christ, he hasn't forgot. He will not forget, amen? So we thank God for him. Thank God for what God is doing in his life. Amen. Praise God. Let's have a word of prayer if you would. Father, we thank you today. We give honor to you. Oh, great God who does great things. God, we've experienced the light of your grace, the manifestation of your mercy, and the demonstration of your love. As we've listened in through this testimony, this sharing of what you've done in this life, with this man, in this time, in this season. We thank you for Brother Jacob. We thank you, God, for his humility, his sincerity, and his desire to please you and to be found pleasing in your sight. Thank you for this, God, as our hearts have been encouraged and we've been inspired to trust you with our whole heart, to submit to you from our heart and to yield to your purpose and your plan in our life. Even as he's already declared, it is a whole purpose of man to glorify God. So we thank you now. We pray now that you'd bless this time in your word, God. May your word go forth with strength, with clarity, that you've prepared our hearts to receive, our minds to understand, our ears to hear. And Father, may we never forget the great power of the working of your Holy Spirit in the lives of men. We thank you. We bless you, dear God. It is in the matchless name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Would you all stand to your feet? And I know you've already done this, but if you would... Why don't you hug three people around you and just let them know. Just tell them God loves you and I do too.
Jesus.
Jehovah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Where would I be if the Lord wasn't on my team? Where would I be? Kept my enemies away. Let the sun shine through on a cloudy day. When I got all disturbed, he said, he rocked me in the cradle of his love. When he knew I'd been battered by the sun. Hallelujah. Where would I be? He kept my enemies away. He let the sun shine through a cloudy day. Oh, he rocked me in the cradle of his love when he knew I had been battered by the storm so if it had not been for the Lord on my side tell me where yourself that you have to remind yourself what he's brought you through what he's brought you over what he's took you through where would I be where where would I be where where would I be <laughs> where? thank you Jesus where would I be yes 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 thank you Jesus it's a good thing to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I would invite you to the word of God this morning. Matthew chapter number six. Matthew chapter number six. A segment of the Sermon on the Mount. It is probably Jesus' most profound sermon because he covered so much he laid the foundation essentially for the message that he would then carry forth for the duration of his ministry 
It is also a place where we can go to understand and help us to understand what it looks like to live a life in Christ. For Jesus gave much instruction there. One of the first things he said and one of the things he gave us that will give us context to the reality of his, him, him sharing the essence of his ministry was he says, you have, been heard, you have heard that it's been said, but I say unto you. Because ultimately he was then coming to correct the, the fallacy and things that were, may, may have been misunderstood and misinterpreted, but then also to give instruction on how we would then follow his teaching. Much of the things that Jesus says here uh, create for us a roadmap for Christian living. It gives us a roadmap for understanding how we are to conduct ourselves, how we are to, to then uh, live our lives if we're going to be those who would follow Jesus. As he gets through the teaching, he stops uh, at a place and he, he begins to deal with something that most of us will, all, will, will face at some point in our lives, and that is worry and concern for our lives. And so Jesus then begins to teach. He says, take no thought for your life, what you should eat or what you should drink or what you should put on. Then he goes on to say something that was so inspirational. He says, do you not, he says, if the, if the, the, the bird does not uh, store up for the winter, he just simply has what he needs. He says, if God is concerned about a sparrow, he says, how much more are you? How much more will your heavenly father make sure he provides for you? So last week we shared with you that God is a great provider. So one of the things that we'll be faced with is the reality of where are we, what's happening, and what's going on in our lives, and then maybe not understanding the journey, but then being able to be comforted in the words of Christ. Because I've come to understand that the truth is what really gives us comfort. I can say things to you. I can give you a motivational teaching. I can, I can give you a pep talk, but, and that may soothe you. But what I've come to understand, that true comfort only comes through the scriptures. Here's what, what, what Paul says. He says that whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. But notice what he goes on to say, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. I'm convinced today that many of us are, don't have a lot of hope in our life because we don't have a lot of word in our lives. We don't have enough word to combat all of the discouraging things that we face, all the things that happen in our lives, the things that surround us, the things that come against us, the things that cause us great trial because we don't have word, enough word to help comfort us. We find ourselves feeling hopeless when we have the one who is the essence of hope. And thus we come to this. Jesus says, he says, that don't take no, thought, take no thought for your life, what you should eat or drink. But then he goes on and he says something that I would encourage you with today. In this 31st verse, as he gets down to this point, having taught on worrying and not to worry, he comes to this and he says this. He says, therefore, because he's already given this teaching of how your, your father loves you, that he cares as much for you, uh, if he cares for the sparrow, that he certainly cares much more for you because you're worth more than many sparrows. Then in verse 31, he says, therefore, therefore means go back and look at what I've just said and now conclude this, Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Verse 32, for all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. 
He says, listen, your father knows this. He knows, he knows that you have need of these things. And he says, but here's the thing I want you to understand. Even though life hits you tough and sometimes it catches you off guard and sometimes it comes in like a flood. He says, even though that is all true, he says, you must always know in your heart that your heavenly father knows you have these needs. Don't ever think that God does not know about your situation. Don't ever think that he's not concerned about your situation. But there's one thing he wants us to do. God allows for things to happen in our lives. He allows us not to overcome because he's trying to get our attention. Because what happens as we get going, we begin to put other things in the place that only God is supposed to be. We allow things to drift in. We give more time to things that do not glorify him than the time we give to glorifying him. We find ourselves bogged down with a lot of things that God did not call us to do that God has not charged us with doing. And we then trade the important things for the less important. We then gravitate to the things that are not so significant. And we lift them up into the place where only God says. Because notice how Jesus changes. He's now he's dealing with worry. And he's dealing with your concern about life. And then he switches gears because the next thing he says in the next verse, verse 33, he says, but I'm telling you this, I, your father already knows you have these needs. He said, but I'm saying to you, but. You have to stop at the but because he says, listen, you got all these needs, don't worry. The Gentiles, that's all they, they're pursuing, what they can do with their life. What can I get? What can I gain? He says, but I'm telling you, seek First, the kingdom of God, and watch this now, his righteousness. See, oftentimes we, will, we, 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 we set our thoughts on Christ, but we don't set our thoughts on his righteousness. Righteousness is right standing with God. Righteousness is right living towards God. Righteousness is right mind towards God, right heart towards God. Righteousness. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And look what he says. He says, and then your father, who knows all the things you have need of, he says, and he'll add those things to you. See, when you really give all you have to God, and I love what Brother Jacob said. He said, I, I, it was a heart problem. When he first said, I know you were thinking, boy, he got, oh, a young man. He had a bad heart. Oh, Jesus. No, he's talking about the soul heart. He says, my problem is at my heart, I didn't want to submit myself to the will of God. I didn't want to submit to what, what God desires. Oftentimes, living in this flesh, we find ourselves pursuing what we feel, what we want, what we see. And John put it this way, he says, all that's in this world is the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Walking around, chest stuck out, and you don't have nothing. Proud to have it. Glad to be one. But he says, seek first the kingdom and its righteousness and the things that you have need of, your heavenly father will add, Pastor, well, but see, what about me? Because, see, my needs, I don't get my, my needs are not being met and things are not happening. Why, why, why? Because, do you see the formula? H- Two, O gives you water. 
best formula. Two part hydrogen, one part oxygen will give you water. You cannot change that around and give it two parts oxygen, one part hydrogen, and still get water. Because the formula is two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen will give you water. God says, seek me first, the kingdom of heaven, and my righteousness, and then you'll get what you desire. Well, I know people who don't even love Jesus, and they got plenty of things, because their father's blessing them. Your father has given you his plan. Their father has got his plan for their life. Oh, you're missing it. Their father has a plan for their life. Your, have, your father has a different plan for your life. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter what they're doing. Because not in his house. He's not looking at that house. My babies that came to me and said, Daddy, well, we want to we do this. I said, well, we don't do that. Well, but such and such, I said, I get it. Their parents allowed them to do that. Your parents are saying no to that. Here's what I'm trying to get you to understand. If God be your father, he's saying, if I'm your father. So you got to understand, if you're being blessed any other way, you better check your fatherhood. If you're being blessed any other way, you better check your daddy. You better get you a DNA test. You better check the blood that's flowing through your veins because here's the reality. He says, my children, this is the plan I have for their life. So it says, because notice what Jesus said. He says, your heavenly father. Everything he's saying pertains to children. Children of the heavenly father. He, he told the Pharisees, he says, he says, you guys are following your father. He said, that's why y'all trying to kill me. Because he said, if God were your father, you would love what I'm doing. But because he's not, you're trying to kill me. He said, we only have one father. Abraham is our father. He said, if Abraham was your father, you would love me. He said, because before Abraham was, I am. So the reality is Abraham served me. And if you loved Abraham and followed Abraham, you'd love me too. So the reality is, we're called, as Brother Jacob said, and I thank God for him, we're called to put God first. Put God first in our lives. To realize how significant it is that we put him first. Because Jesus says, seek ye first what God desires. How many times do we make decisions and plans and prepare and never stop to ask, God, what would you have me to do? We take jobs. We don't even stop and pray. God, is this a job for me? 
I know it's going to have me working every Sunday. Did you bless me with this? Are you giving me this job, God, that takes me away from you, from worship? You said let every man gather to worship. And now I believe you're giving me something that's going to take me from you. Is it God? Okay, here, let, me, let me help you with this so you understand it. Lady Toyin loves me and I love her. So my schedule gets busy. I'm really busy. This is hypothetical, not real. I'm real busy. So I decide, you know, it's, she needs to go out for dinner. But I don't have the time. So I call nice, tall, dark, handsome, young man. So listen, I don't have time to take my wife to dinner, but because you're single and have more time than I do, would you take her out for me? Now you understand, don't you? You know, I ain't having nothing like that. Oh, watch this, wife, girlfriend, special one to him. You ain't want, you want nobody to help cooking for him, do you? You may not, you may not be able to boil water, but you don't want her to bring him a cracker, do you? Don't boil no eggs. Don't cook him no spaghetti. I found out you love cake. That's right. And if, if I can't bake, now we're going to buy some. But don't you cook none. <laughs> Why? Because I would not give you something that potentially takes you from me. So we have to stop and say, God, is this for me? Oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait a second. Relationships. Oh, she, she, she looks good. Mm, she got the walk. She got the talk. She didn't bought the hair, the kind that you like. She got the color on her nails. She wear the right shadow on her eye. But you at church worshiping. And you got to call her when you get out to see how she doing. But y'all got plans to get married. Oh, wait a minute. We ain't that far past. We just dated. I just like her. We may be building something here. Here's the reality. When you build something, you eventually going to make something. And you can't tell me time spent is not time had. And time had creates time that's wanted. I want more. More. Young lady, you, yeah, he, you see the potential in him. He, oh, he got great potential. He got great potential. Right now, he don't really understand God. He's really not that, uh, uh, you know, he don't really, he, he, he wasn't raised in church. You realize this? If we're all dead in trespasses and sin, it's not whether a person was raised in church. It's whether they know Jesus. 
And here's the reality. The Bible says, do not unequally yoke yourself together with an unbeliever. You're going out on the first date, and he reveals you that he questions whether Jesus is real. You ought to just say, uh, check, please. <laughs> oh, but I'm buying. You don't have to. <laughs> I don't want to invest a dime because this is it. But we won't, we won't make that kind of stand because we won't put God first. We put him in our life, but not first in our life, because first means first. God, if this person will love you. You see, Lady Toya and I, we love each other. We're married, we'll be celebrating 11 years this year. But watch this. We were going through the process, and she don't mind me telling this. We were going through the process of, of courting, and so she had been exposed to some things. And she felt like it was, it was okay because there were some other Christian people that had told her that it was okay. But I said, that's not God, that's pagan. So it's, it's pagan. She said, oh no, because I said, no, that's pagan, that's not God. We were riding down the street. And I told her, I said, you know, I do understand. All of us have something that we hold dear to us. I said, but I'm, 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 I'm sure that's not God. And, if, if, and I do understand, if you decided that you didn't want to pursue further with me because you want to hold that, I do understand that. She went back, she was praying. While she was praying, the Lord spoke to her and said, uh, this ain't me. She called me, she said, look, the Lord been speaking to me and told me this ain't him. I said, okay, all right. What you doing later? Because <laughs> up until that point, I had to be ready, Miss Dorothy, to walk away. You got to be ready to say, okay, this ain't God. Because God wants his best for you, right? Seek ye first, watch this, the kingdom of heaven, and the things you're needing, he'll add it to you. See, the thing is, you say, well, I'm, I'm married, I want to get married one day. The reason that it, it could be, I'm not saying I don't know your business. But it could be that it hadn't happened yet because in order to get that, you always draw back from God. Get down in the shadows and try to lurk around and find you something. And then you want to come and say, this is going to be good for me for God. But you got to understand, God loves you enough to say no because he loves you. Let me tell you this. I was single. I'm not picking on you. I'm just telling you this. I was single until I was 35 years old. 35. I had a desire to be married. I didn't pastor for a few years, but I desired to be married. And every time I would find something, try to pour myself into it. But I kept saying, God, here's what I need you to do. Help keep my heart and my mind in a place that when you show me, I can accept it. Let me testify. I was engaged one other time before Lady told you. And I come, introduce her to the church, I announce it, it's ready to go. I travel up to visit, she stayed out of state. Co coincidentally, in Detroit. I was traveling to Detroit, didn't know my wife was up there, it just wasn't that one. Here's what happened. The Lord showed me while I was there. This wasn't it. As I'm driving back, I had to reconcile in my mind and heart. This ain't it. And here's what was really getting me. I didn't want to come back and tell y'all 
that I've made a mistake. And the devil said, you better go and follow through because, you know, you didn't told everybody. You announced it to the church. You took your parents out and introduced her to them. You done all this stuff. By the time I got down, about halfway down 69, coming back from up there, I had peace. But here's the thing, to show you, to, to add insult to injury, this was Valentine's Day. I was driving back on Valentine's Day, but I reconciled. I said, Lord, I hear you. This ain't it. She called me later that evening. I said, so what you doing? I said, I'm in Indianapolis. Oh, what are you doing back there? I said, I, I'm home, and we'll talk later. But as I was coming back, here's a friend of mine called me, Minister Derek Mitchell. He called me. He said, hey, man, I know your fiance's up in Detroit. What you, what you up to? For Valentine's Day, I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I ain't got no. He said, well, let's, let's go grab something to eat. I said, okay. He said, well, you have been to Sullivan's? I said, no, that sounds good. Steakhouse, let's go. So now, insult to injury. We go in, it's packed. It's Valentine's Day. Everybody's there taking, taking their wife, to, to, taking their somebody to, to Valentine's Day. Because here's what happened. It was so crowded that we were all standing there. So the guy came up to us. He said, listen, uh, there's, some, there's, you, you, there's, there's immediate seating in the bar area at those little, little round tables, there's two stools. We was like, well, yeah, let's just, I mean, we don't mind. We ain't going to drink nothing. We just sit down. This guy, I don't know what he's thinking about. He said, man, you know, one, one of the best things they got here is strawberry cover. I mean, uh, chocolate-covered strawberries. I was like, oh, that sounds good. We, I ain't thinking. <laughs> he ain't thinking. We're not thinking. We're just there. He's like, man, they got they, the strawberries like this big. And I'm like, man, that's great. We're sitting there. So the guy comes up. He says, Brother Bogan, he says, um, I brought you all two plates. I said, no, we don't need but one. That's just for him. We ain't together. This ain't no Valentine's dinner. We just eating on Valentine's Day. So I had to, I had to reconcile that thing. <laughs> oh, no, man. It's just one plate. His plate. Ain't no sharing. That's all he is. Why is that important? Because you have to be willing to say, God, whatever you, what are you doing? Because when you submit to what God says first, I promise you he does it. I didn't go searching. I didn't start slipping out at night at the nightclub. I didn't start going back to the old trough and try to fish something out. You know what I'm saying, don't you? The trough, you go back into your, your, your roller decks. Hey, what you up to? And you know when the first phone call, why, why y'all stop talking, don't you? But you still press through. They say something off the wall, like, oh, what are you up to? Uh, you feel like doing anything tonight? Uh, I stopped. I said, you know what, God, I'm going to be still. And I started to get weary because I was working. I was bivocational. So I was working all day. And then I was, when I got off work, I would start passing. Whatever I, whatever I couldn't do during the day, I would get done in the evenings. And I started to say to myself, when am I ever going to find somebody? Because one of the things I didn't want to do, I didn't want to be that pastor that people say, oh, he's slick, under-eyed, always looking. Because I saw some people, I wanted to get the phone number. I was like, hey, God, God bless you, woman of God. <laughs> Put that extra, that berry on her. Hey, oh, God bless you. The Lord bless thee and keep thee until we meet again. Here's my number. I didn't want to be that guy. 
I don't want to be around in the church dating. And one Sunday morning, that little lady right there came walking down the aisle. Now, I didn't see her in a white gown, so I wasn't I I that far. I just saw her coming in. I said, oh. I said, greet your neighbor. How you doing, sister? You, God bless you. <laughs> you, you. You visit with us first time today? <laughs> Come stay a while, would you? <laughs> Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. And God promises to add those things to you. Amen? Eleven years later, God has blessed us. Amen? Let me further this. I want to share this, this, the rest of this. Exodus 20, verse 3. Look what the word of the Lord says. You should have no other gods before me. Because we're talking about putting God first. Putting God first. God says you should have no other gods before me. This is one of the Ten Commandments. This is one of the first things God, when God started laying down how he wanted a relationship to be with him, one of the things he said, listen, don't have anything else in the place that belongs where I belong. Now, sometimes what happens is we struggle with trying to interpret what he's saying here today. So the thing we want to understand, he's basically saying that, should not, that you, should not, um, you should not function in idolatry. Idolatry. You shouldn't have anything else. So when we look at it, we say, well, I don't, I, I don't serve it. I don't, I'm not in some other religion. I don't have some other God I'm praying to. So how does that apply to me? Let me help you understand. Let me interpret for you idolatry. Idolatry is this. It's worship of idols. That's broad. It's not just a god. It's idols. Watch this now. One of the, one of the most popular shows of all time in the United States is what? American Idol. Look at the definition of idol. Idol is extreme admiration or love or reverence, go back, extreme love, go back one slide for me, please. It is extreme admiration and love and reverence for something or someone. So now the definition of idolatry is something, including something or someone. Look what it says, excessive or blind adoration, reverence for, or devotion for, etc. So idolatry, he says, thou shalt not have any other God before me. If we understand that, that, that idolatry can be things, here's a way, here's a, here's a brief opportunity for you to understand some ways in which idolatry exists in our society today. One is materialism. Notice the definition of materialism. It is a, a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. Notice that I can be materialistic and that can be an idol in my life. So when God says you should have no other gods before me, idolatry, we can actually be worshiping idol, the idol of materialism. Look at this other one, humanism. Any system or mode of thought or action in, in which human interest, watch this, values and dignity are predominant. So whatever interests me, that, that's the dominant force in my life. Whatever I feel, whatever I want, whatever I desire, that's what, that's what dominates my life. That's humanism. 
That is taking God and making God, making, making God uh, in our mind revolving around us rather than us revolving around him. Then the last one, secularism. This is the view that public education and other matters of civil policy should be conducted without introduction of a religious element. That's where prayer is not in the school. That's where we don't, I don't force my children uh, to come to church. I don't try to force religion on them. You're not forcing religion on them. You're, forcing, you, you're trying to teach them Jesus. Because here's the reality. Faith comes by, if I've never heard it, how can I develop my faith? I can't, for by grace are you saved through, you can only be saved by having faith, but I can't have faith if I don't hear. How can they believe in, whom, in him whom they have not heard? See, they don't hear, they, don't, they haven't heard. When we look at the, at the ills of the world, it's because the world does not have relationship with Christ. And unless we are conducting ourselves in such a way that we're trying to train and teach them and help them to understand who Jesus is and understand him, that he is the one who, who, who determines the values and the morals in our lives. See, one thing that we don't have enough of in our society, and that is a moral compass. People just do whatever they feel. And when, because I do what I feel, depending on how I'm feeling, that's what I do. And because it depends on how I feel and not a, a, a higher authority than whatever I choose to do, I'm right in doing it. That's secularism, humanism. So the truth of the matter is, that is idolatry. He says, don't have anything in your life that puts itself in the place where I'm supposed to be. Anything that lords over your life. What do you have in your life that lords over you? What's in your life that you, you feel like I cannot do without it? What's in your life that, that drives you so much that, 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 that you, can, you feel like you, you have the can't help it's about it? Because that becomes idolatry. Because here's what God said. He says, I want you to love me with all your heart, all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. He says, every part of you should be designed and geared towards loving me. So what in your life takes precedence over God? Is it money? Is it the pursuit of the, getting extra hours? Your bank account, your 401k, your retirement? Look at this, because Jesus already addressed that in this same chapter. He says, listen, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus referred to mammon. Mammon was a name given to the God of covetousness. Other interpretations understand it to be money. You cannot serve God and serve money, the pursuit of having it, because of what, what has you will control you. And God says if you put anything in your life that controls you, watch this, it could be fear that controls you. You can walk around in such fear that it controls everything you do. It could be covetousness that you see, whatever you see, I got to have it. You buy shoes when you really don't, can't afford to have it. You go out and get another car, a more expensive car, when you really can't afford it. You try to get, a, get the biggest house you can, but you can't afford all of it. 
find yourself spending as a means of therapy. Let me tell you this. If you spend as a means of therapy, you will need some true therapy. Because when, you're, when the bills come, you laid out stressed out, and you're just two months out of the last bankruptcy, you, can't, you got seven more years, you know you can't do that again. With your patience and comfort of what? The scriptures. That's what gives us comfort. God's word. So what, what's in our life that's in the place of God? Look what, look, what, what, look what the word mammon means. Wealth regarded as an evil influence or false object of worship and devotion. It was taken by the medieval writers as the name of the devil of covetousness. Material wealth or possessions, especially as having a debased influence that it just, it, it just, it, it gets you. See, one, one of the things that we, oftentimes those who don't have a lot of money don't believe they have a love of money. And I would tell you this, I would reason this with you. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money's not the evil thing. It is a love for it. But here's the thing. You don't have to have a whole lot of money to love it. Those who get rich and love money, they loved it when they were poor. Yeah, they did. You can tell this, you love it, you love it now. You can tell, you, you can gauge it. $20 you had, and all that you wouldn't do to get it. Love. Because it's, not, it's no longer just a means for them to, to, to purchase things I need. It's something I, I have to have. Amen? Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven is righteous and all these things be added unto you. Look at, the, look at this last thing and I'll be done. Materialism is a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. When we start to say, hey, what comforts me, what satisfies me is more important than what satisfies God, that becomes materialism, but that also becomes an idol in our life. I'm going to ask this question. In your list of priorities, where does God stand? When you look at your life and you prioritize your life, and let me tell you this, priorities are not based upon what you say, it's based upon what you do. You can, know, you can locate a person's heart by where they put their efforts. You can locate a person's heart because Jesus says, where your, heart, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. You can locate where a per, how a person feels about something based upon how much attention they give to it. So now let me ask you this question. Again, in your list of priorities, where is God? Where does God stand in your priorities? Because again, Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He says, he says God should be first in your life. What pleases him, what, what he desires, what he wants for your life should be first in your life. Seek him first. Let me suggest this way of prioritizing things. It should be God, it should be family, then your personal desires. When, when someone goes out, and, and when, when a man leaves his family and abandons his children because he's put himself and his own interest before his family. When someone does not care about how they hurt someone else, they, they, their priorities are off. Because the first thing, if you start with what God says, God says, love me first, but then he says, but then also love your neighbor as yourself. And he says that there's no other, there's no other uh, uh, commandments that are greater than these two. And the second one is just like the first. So when I love others like I love myself, then I understand how God designed this thing for us. Love me, love them, love one another. 
See, when we don't have, when we don't understand the priority of God first, then we also understand, don't understand how we can love our neighbor as ourselves. Because once we put God first in our life, make him priority, then, we, then he says, listen, you can't love me without loving them. Here's what God went as far to say this. He said, how can you say you love me whom you've never seen, but you hate your brother who you see every day? He says, that's, 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 that's off because loving me helps you to understand how to show love. So love God, love your family, and then your personal interest should come then. So many people are so dri self-driven that they do things that hurt everybody around them, and they don't care what damage they do. And even when, when they're confronted about it, they then, they then still want to blame somebody else. Brother Jacob said, when I finally come to realize that I couldn't blame anybody else, I had to deal with my own heart. So the truth of the matter is, God, family, personal interests. That's your career, that's your hobbies, your activities. That's whatever you're interested in. That should come third. I love this because <clears throat> when the, um, after winning the Super Bowl, the, um, what was the name? Huh? Yeah. The quarterback, um, Nick Foles. Right before the Super Bowl, they asked him, you know, what was the greatest, the, the, he had just won in his opportunity to go to the Super Bowl, and so the, 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 the person interviewing him asked him, she said, you know, this, this must be the greatest day of your life. He says, uh-uh. He says, first, the greatest day of my life when I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior. God first. Then he says, and the day I married my wife, family. He says, and this will be third. He had his priorities right. So it didn't, it did, it didn't surprise me when I read, it, read in the article this week and I sent it out to some of the brothers that he's already got his plan for after football. He says, I'm in seminary right now, so when football's over, I want to be a pastor. Football is, yes, he, amen. He's reached the pinnacle. He's reached the pinnacle of, of, of his career. But even there, he says, that, that's still third in my life. It's my God. It's my family, and then it's my career. Here's what I would emphatically say to you. God comes first. God comes first. You got to put him first. No matter what you do, no matter who it is, no matter where you find yourself, you must put him first. Look what Mark chapter, chapter 12, verse 30, 30 and 31 says. It says, listen, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And this is the first commandment. And the second is like it, it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There are no other commandments greater than these. That's what God's word to us today. And hear this, Brother Jacob quoted this without knowing that he was already helping me with my sermon. He quoted this from Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse number 3. Ecclesiastes 12 and 13, I'm sorry. And then he's, it, here's, what, here's what Solomon had to say. He said, listen, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Is that man's whole effort should directly come to understand what it means to fear God, to love him. Put God first. Stand to your feet.
putting God first means to submit to, to what he's desired. Here's what the word says, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. The will of God for mankind is that they come to repentance, come to the place of realizing that we're all sinners and that we're in need of a savior. And the truth is this, the Lord hears the cry of the one crying out to him for salvation. Because his ears are attentive to his will being fulfilled. And his will is that all should, should be born again and that none should perish. Are you here today you've never made Jesus Lord of your life? Never confessed him as Lord and as Savior? Never received him into your heart? to allow him to be the leader, the guide of your life, to, to be the focus of your life. We find ourselves here at this moment at this time and the word of God